Hey, one more thing before you go. What do you do when you lose your mother and you're about to become a mother yourself? Who do you ask about raising a child? Who do you turn to? When you're separated from your mother by physical distance, estrangement, or death, how can we talk to them or find support? In this episode, we're going to learn how you, as a mother, can recognize that it's okay and there are people there to help you. And if your spouse has lost their mother, how you can help them move forward from feelings of insecurity, isolation, and overwhelm to be in a place of resilience. I'm your host, Michael Hirsch, and this is The Thing About Moms Without Moms. My guest in this episode is a mom without a mom of two boys. She's a clinical psychologist and a mom coach passionate about helping moms separated from their mother by physical distance, estrangement, or death. Move from feelings of insecurity, isolation, and overwhelm to a place of resilience. Dr. Melissa Riley, through her personal and professional experience, has come to recognize that moms without a mom experience grief as part of their motherhood even if they don't realize it. The relationship moms had or didn't have with their mothers impacts how they see themselves but doesn't define them. In this episode, we're going to have a conversation and learn about the notion that it isn't knowledge and skills that create resilience, but rather is born through overcoming hardship, having a community, and living by one's values. I'm your host, Michael Hurston. Welcome to One More Thing Before You Go. Hi, Melissa. Hi, Mike. Hi, Michael. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. As we were just saying a little bit ago, uh, it's a wonderful thing you do. And I think that uh, helping people move forward in a very, very positive way and helping them through their um, hardships, their obstacles in life is, uh, is a great thing. So thank you for being here for that. It's my pleasure. Well, I, you know, I kind of like to start from the beginning, uh, kind of see how your journey evolved into where you're at right now, because I know you've had some experiences that help contribute to why you do this and, and, and how you do this because of those experiences. Where'd you grow up? Well, I grew up in upstate New York in the Catskill Mountains. Um, so if anybody has been to New York, um, the Catskills is a beautiful mountainous area, about 100 miles north um, of New York City. And is, is that, um, how was your, what was your family like? I, I got stumped there for a second. I was thinking about the Catskill <laughs> Mountains. <laughs> yeah. uh, well, I was born into a family, um, both my parents, and I had an older sister and a younger sister. But unfortunately, my older sister was diagnosed with leukemia. Um, and after several years of battling that illness, she died at the age of seven, when I was only four years old. Yeah, and so, yeah, so unfortunately, um, my early life was impacted dramatically by her loss. And then, of course, being raised by parents who were grieving the loss of their oldest child. So that shaped a lot of my early life. Um, but fortunately, you know, my, my parents had supports and did the best that they could. And, um, you know, my early life was as, as good as it could be. And then, did, I'm, I'm sorry, but I say the, the, your parents, I mean, obviously it's devastating when you lose a child. Um, it, 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 and it's as a parent myself, I, you know, to me, it would, it would be difficult to move forward after losing a child. My lost my parents lost a brother that was born after me, right after birth. And I know that my parents really took that hard. It took a very, very long time for them to get over that loss. Um, so uh, I have you, did your parents, were they able to kind of move forward? 
they, yeah, they did the best that they could. Um, how we coped with it was by never talking about it. So my parents, um, it was really important for them to um, give me and my younger sister uh, quote unquote normal life, right? And so mm -hmm. they weren't gonna let the hardships that we faced because of my sister's illness um, stop us. And unfortunately, by never talking about it, um, for little kids, it kind of resulted in this idea that death was so terrible that you couldn't even talk about it. And so I realized mm -hmm. later as a young adult, just what an impact that had um, on both me and my, my little sister, that death became something that was just this, this terrifying thing to experience. Yeah, I think that, you know, in my experience, both personally and professionally, you know, death is a taboo subject. Um, it mm -hmm. seems to be in the United States, at least. You know, I know some in other countries and some other cultures, you know, they embrace it. But here in the United States, it's kind of a taboo subject. It's very difficult to talk about. You know, it, it's a, you know, even even if it is a, especially if it's a close family member, you're supposed to kind of push down those feelings and just move past it and move forward. I think that uh, things are starting to change from that direction, you know, especially after COVID, do you think? Yes, absolutely. I mean, you know, my mom, God bless her, she, my, my sister had died. And then 10 days later, my little sister turned three. And my mother had a birthday party at our house for my little sister. I mean, just 10 days after burying her, her uh, oldest child. And then, you know, I was only four. And a few months later, I started kindergarten because my mom was determined to not let anything hold me back, right? Even though I'd gone through several years of very traumatic experience um, because, you know, leukemia is, you know, back in the 70s was um, almost always terminal. Um, it, it's still a very difficult disease nowadays, um, but thankfully they have more advanced treatment than they did back then. So me and my younger sister, um, were taken care of often by um, neighbors and uh, other friends so that my parents could be with my sister in New York City while she was getting her treatments. So, um, but right after she died, you know, I, my mom, we had talked briefly about it. She felt so guilty about the impact that my older sister's illness and death had on me and my younger sister that she tried to compensate by making sure nothing you know, more uh, would come of it. And like I said, it, you know, they did the best they could, but, you know, it was, it was difficult. As a great mom to help, you know, to help you guys through that from, mm -hmm. with that perspective. Mm -hmm. um, Absolutely. Did you uh, go to university? I did. I went to Elmira College for my first four years and then got both my master's and my doctorate from um, University of Hartford. Was it in psychology or was, yes. had you already yep, wanted yep, to be a psychologist? Um, <laughs> funnily, um, when I was really little, I wanted to be a scientist. And then somebody told me, oh, you'll have to go to school for like seven years. And I thought, oh my goodness, that's too long. Um, well, I wound up going to school for 10 years. So. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, they didn't, they didn't tell you the other end of being a doctor, right. you got to go a little bit longer. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, so, yeah, I knew early on that I wanted to be a psychologist. I mean, not surprisingly, given the early childhood loss, I became really empathic. I was really good at kind of understanding how others around me were doing. And some of that was really kind of a survival mechanism, especially mm -hmm. since there were times that I would wake up and not know where I was because we had to be dropped off somewhere. Um, so I became really good at kind of recognizing the emotional tenor of the people around me. That's good. I mean, obviously, I think that, you know, I've had a lot of conversations on one more thing before you go, especially dealing with grief and, and tragedy and people overcoming tragedy and, and turning that into triumph. And, and the same thing in my personal and professional life. You know, I, I found that, you know, sometimes our childhoods define us in a good way. A lot of times they define us in a bad way. And uh, you took it to a, a positive level 
and created something that you can turn around into helping other people, you know, which is really kudos for that. Um, you came through it with a, with a positive approach instead of a, a negative approach. That's great. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I truly recognize I would not be the person I am today if it wasn't for those difficulties early on. Oh, that's, that's you know, I, I, it's interesting. That's why I became a cop. I have a dysfunctional family, and at the same time, and I thought I could change the world, you know, kind of a deal. And it, uh, we all, we all come out of come out of it in, in a way that we're hoping it changes the world. And I, yeah. you know, I think your impact that you're doing is really well. So, Absolutely. <clears throat> um, I know you lost your mother. Uh, at what point did you lose your mother? Well, um, my, I lost my mom when I was 25. And then unfortunately, seven months later, my little sister also died. So I went from a family of, you know, four women and one man, you know, my dad, to a family of just me and my dad. So I lost all of the, the female members of my immediate family. Wow, that's, that's got to create a huge impact on your life. Yes, it, it, it was absolutely a huge impact. Now, thankfully, you know, I have an amazing aunt um, who's only 10 years older than I am. So she's always been more of a sister to me. So thankfully, I continue to have her in my life. But yeah, it was, it was, yeah, those, um, you know, that year when I lost both both um, my mother and my sister uh, was extremely difficult to say the least. Well, coming from from not just a a human being perspective, but you are a psychologist. So, coming from a psychologist, was it difficult to try to separate your your personal and your professional life and and kind of understand <laughs> what you were going through or what you were about to go through? Um, yeah, it, I was. So there was a lot of family dynamics um, that were occurring during my graduate school years. So, you know, I really kind of learned about the impact family had on me and I was able to, you know, recognize healthy boundaries and things like that. And, you know, then when I experienced the losses, I, um, you know, understood the grief process um, and, that didn't make it any easier. Right. Um, but for a little while, I had tried to um, minimize the number of patients I saw that were also grieving. But the reality is that didn't work. Um, because, you know, somebody would say they, they were coming in because of, you know, anxiety. But then, you know, it would turn out they were anxious because somebody had just died. So, so, you know, I became very quickly um, able to separate my own experiences from the experiences mm -hmm. of the clients I worked with. But I also realized pretty quickly just how much my own personal experience allowed me to understand a number of um, circumstances that otherwise I, I wouldn't have been able to. Yeah, that makes sense. Did you have a specialty in your psychology? Did you, you, you know, like, were you mental health? What? Um... Um, well, yeah, I am a clinical psychologist. So my um, early in my career, I was working at a hospital, but in their outpatient mental health uh, unit. And I saw individuals of all ages and many different diagnoses. And then um, after seven years there, I um, opened my own practice with another psychologist and have really specialized more in working with adults and um, with uh, depression, anxiety, a lot of grief, um, work a lot with individuals with traumatic histories. And then more recently, I'm focusing more specifically on working with moms particularly moms without a mom. That's an amazing career, actually. And, and coming from, 
I know it's got to be hard. It's hard as an individual to have to experience what you experience, especially on multiple levels, because it wasn't just one. You know, you right. had several, and those several compounded upon each other, which obviously creates a void in your life, not just once, but three times. And, and at the same time, I'm sure you probably had to kind of keep an eye on your father, too, because he lost the same number of people. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you know, when my younger sister died, um, just after, you know, my mother died, um, it wasn't even him that had called me. It was it was the, the doctor at the hospital because he just he just couldn't. And, and I understood that. Right. And um, so as soon as I got the call, you know, I was living in Pennsylvania. He was in New York. I, you know, drove, um, you know, right to the house. And I remember, you know, he said to me, I can't put everybody through this. You know, we're, we're not going to have any services. We're not going to do anything. I just can't put everybody through this again. And I, I remember at that point, you know, Michael, I, I said, dad, you aren't putting anybody through anything. Jennifer died. We didn't do that. So, you know, I recognized he didn't have, he just couldn't, he couldn't do any of the arrangements. He couldn't make any of the calls. Um, so at that point, at the age of 26, um, I was a hundred percent responsible for arranging and contacting everybody. Um, and I did, um, and you know, my dad did the best that he could. Mm -hmm. So, and then, you know, for, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, but I say that, that in itself is, you know, uh, that in itself creates an environment that your caretaker now is in some respect. Mm -hmm. So not only do you have the regular responsibilities and you're trying to get through this yourself, you are now having to shut those feelings down in order to be a caretaker, which creates, you know, um, you know, uh, a, a specific situation for you, you know, to have to get through everything as well. I think all of that personal experience has got to come forward when you help, help the people that you help, I'm sure, because it, mm -hmm. you know, you could say, I've been there. I empathize with you. Absolutely. And thankfully, you know, it, it wasn't too much, you know, longer after my sister passed that my dad began, you know, another relationship. Um, and uh, he remarried, um, actually, to a, a friend of my mother's. <laughs> and um, they were married um, for 15 years. And then, unfortunately, she passed. So I lost my stepmother as well. Um, wow. And then, yeah, but my, my dad carried on and he's actually married now a third time to third. another one of my mother's friends. <laughs> third time's a charm. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And so, uh, kind of, you know, we all kind of joke, you know, uh, dad, you've run through all the friends now. <laughs> so my, my, yeah. My dad's, would... uh, yeah, that's kind of funny. This I'm, is it. I had to laugh. I'm sorry. It that's yeah. No, it is funny. It's like, uh, yeah. Do you have any? Did your mother have any other friends I don't know about that we I can meet? <laughs> exactly. Oh, that's so. interesting. Um, I know that uh, you came to a full realization uh, when you had your own child. Just the impact that your mother was gone happened to kind of really present itself in a way that. Um, hit you, kind of hit you right in your face. Yes, absolutely. You know, being a psychologist, my focus was um, academics and my career. And so I was a later in life um, mom. And so I was in my mid thirties um, before I began um, trying to have my family. And unfortunately, um, I had three miscarriages wow. prior to my fourth pregnancy. And when I was carrying my you know, fourth pregnancy, I went into preterm labor at 26 weeks and nearly lost him as well. And um, thankfully, 
I was able to carry him to 37 weeks, despite the fact the doctors only gave me a 10% chance of carrying him to full term. So we beat the odds. Yes, thank you. So that was a very medically fragile, complicated pregnancy. Um, and I really became aware during all of you know the pregnancies, the losses, um, and, and then giving birth, just how much I really wanted my mom. You know, I, I, I missed her terribly. Um, the last eight months of her life were difficult between her and I. Um, you know, we were estranged. Um, and thankfully, the two weeks prior to her death, we had just begun talking. We had two conversations that had gone well. And so when she passed, I really held on to this idea that if she had lived, we would have worked things out. So when, you know, I had those um, miscarriages and then the difficulty with the pregnancy, you know, I, I, I missed her, but I also realized how much I was just missing having a mom in general. I didn't have anybody to talk to about those experiences and I didn't have the opportunity to ask my mom what it was like for her, you know, having children and she had had a miscarriage as well. So would have been nice to be able to talk to her about that experience because that's something you know we don't talk much about yeah that i think that when we lose a parent uh especially at a young age because when you lost how old were you when you lost her 26 25 i was 25 so even at 25 years old you know you are still a young woman and you know mm -hmm. mothers are typically I, I say this you know proudly mothers and fathers are typically with us for a very long time past that 26 year mark um so yeah when we lose somebody like that it uh, creates a void that sometimes is irreplaceable um, because you never really have your mom you never really have your dad you know and you do have step step parents and they can take that Fill that just a little bit, and they can fill. I mean, I, I had a stepfather for 25 years, and you know, he proved to me that you don't have to be blood to be family. Mm -hmm. But it, but when I had my, when my wife and I had our daughters, you know, I was missing my father very much because I thought, hey, you know, you could have seen, you know, these wonderful children that you know, that we have here, and and then you know, when we had difficulties too and things like that, it would have been great to talk. So uh, I understand. I understand. Yeah. You, you, how did you overcome that? When, at what point did you recognize and what steps did you take proactively to kind of move um, forward from that? Well, honestly, Michael, it took me a couple of years to realize that what I was experiencing was in large part due to the fact that I was a mom without a mom. I just was struggling so much and just felt terrible about myself. I felt like like there was something wrong with me. Right. I mean, here I was this professional woman, you know, just days shy of 38, um, you know, had business you know, my own business. Um, and yet I couldn't seem to get my act together to take care of this little baby. And there were so many things I didn't know. So many things I didn't know. I didn't know, right. you know, because I didn't have, you know, women around me, my friends that were moms, they, their kids were teenagers and young adults. So they were just at a different stage of life than I was. So, you know, I suffered in silence. You know, I, I recognized I had postpartum depression, but I didn't recognize that the underlying, you know, um, trigger for that was, was grief. And, and so simply focusing on the depressive symptoms wasn't, it wasn't addressing the, the longing that I was having, the, the lack of community. I mean, for most people, moms tend to be a go-to person. And so if you are a mom that doesn't have a mom, either because she's died or because you don't have a relationship with her, if there's an estrangement, um, or even if you're living far away from each other, not having your mom there available to help 
um, in case of emergency or just if you're stressed out, it weighs heavy on you. And then we, we all know being a mom is hard, but the reality is being a mom without a mom is even harder. And for those listeners out there that are moms without a mom, mm -hmm. I, I want you to recognize that what you are doing is difficult. It is hard and there isn't something wrong with you because you're struggling. It just is. That's a profound statement, actually. I think, and I mean, that goes for, not to say anything aside, but that goes for guys too, for, for men yes. as well. When you lose your mother, I mean, who do we call first, right? We, we call mom. You know, exactly. you pick up, pick up the phone, you call your mom. You know, what Absolutely. about this and this and this? Got to tell mom. So, yeah, uh, mothers in our lives in a whole are a very mm -hmm. important aspect of our lives as we move forward and grow in, in life. We all look to mom. So, um, yeah, I'm sure that that uh, that had to be a difficult journey, especially after everything that you had gone through, uh, yeah. that you didn't have your mother there available. So once you started, once you recognized and were able to kind of validate that, uh, what you're feeling and where it was coming from. Um, what steps did you take to kind of move forward? Well, uh, first, you know, once I began recognizing the grief process, um, you know, I was able to then start expressing and talking about my experiences. And, and that's a really important piece is to be able to express your emotions and your stories, right? So I could talk about my mom, I could talk about what I was missing about not having mom. Um, and then being able to fill in some of the gaps. All right. And what I mean by that is who are the people that I need to put into my life that my mother can't be part of? Um, so I talk a lot about building a mom community. And I think all moms, all women actually, and not just women, everybody, but I'm going to talk specifically about moms here, um, should have four people in their life. And so the first person that they should have is the wise woman. And so this is the person who knows things. So you ask them questions and they are just a fountain of knowledge. And if they don't know, they know how to get the answer and you can ask them questions about things that you just don't know. The second person is the emotional supporter. And this is the person that you can just share how you're feeling. They don't give advice and they don't try and cheer you up. They just listen to where you are at that moment. And then the third person is the go-getter. And this is the person that can get things done. And so we all know somebody in our life who is always moving, always getting things done. Um, and so you can call her up at any time. And if you are overwhelmed with lots of things, she'll come and help clean your house. She'll do your laundry. She'll just get those things done without batting an eyelash. And then the fourth person is the late night talker. And I think particularly when our babies are young, it's good to have somebody that we can just call at any time. And so I always encourage people, you know, to recognize the strengths in their friends. So know who is who, um, but also know that those people can be professionals as well. So for me, um, my son's um, teachers, um, his nursery school teachers, they were the wise women often for me. Um, so they, it doesn't just have to be family or friends, it can be professionals. But reaching out and discovering who can be supportive of you and how becomes really important. And I don't know about you, Michael, but I know for me, it can be hard to ask for help. You know, sometimes I, I worry about being a burden to other people, but the reality is I'm not a burden, right? I think all of us at times struggle with asking for help. So again, if you have four people if you ask somebody to help you for an hour, once a month, and let's face it, we would never bat an eyelash to help a friend for an hour, once a month. It doesn't matter how busy we are. 
But if you have four people willing to do that, then you've got help for an hour every week. And that makes a huge difference. Yeah, I would say, I think we all sometimes don't want to be a burden on somebody else. Each and every one of us don't want to do that. But like you said, you hit, you know, you hit that one right on the head. The fact is, is I would in a heartbeat help somebody else that needed it. So, um, and sometimes we have to kind of overcome our own uh, egos and ask. Yep. Just ask. Absolutely. Absolutely. And again, if you know your friends, then you know the, what they're good at. Because the reality is most of us are not all four, right? And and sometimes we can kind of rely on our mom to fit the role of all four just because they've been in our life, right? right? But if we don't have that mom, right, then we need to spread it out a bit. Now, I, I'm pretty good at being the emotional listener, obviously. Um, and at this point in my life, I'm also a wise woman in many regards, but I am not a good go-getter. You know, I still have laundry in my washing machine from five days ago. So, I mean, I'd like to be that, right? Absolutely. But the reality is I'm just not, you know, that's not what I'm good at. So my friends know that. Well, that's, yeah, that's kind of like, yeah, I can relate to that. I, I, I could, I could do, a, I can, I can think, I can listen, I can help you do certain things, but uh, I can't clean your house. <laughs> so I have to put right. somebody. But I do have some, right. But I do have some friends that, man, that's where their wheelhouse is. That's what they do. Yeah. My wife's mother is that way. She, she could, she could clean a house with white gloves, specific, you know, specific specificity. Wow. I mean, it was, yeah, that's who I would go to uh, is, is my mother-in-law. <laughs> Um, help us understand what what happens when a mom or a daughter actually uh, of any type loses uh, their mother. I mean, wh what kind of a process do they go through? I know we all talk about the five-stage process, but the five-stage process isn't always in that order, and it right. isn't always specifically that way. Can we, can we understand a little bit of that? Sure, absolutely. And actually, there are three things that are particular to moms without a mom. One is, you know, experiencing that grief, right? That longing, that sadness, that sense of missing something that they had expected or wanted to have. And like I said, they don't always recognize that that's what they're experiencing. So for example, grief doesn't always look like crying, right? And intense sadness. It can also include just lack of energy and that that sense of you know missing something and also feeling guilty that you aren't enough right and so the the experience of grief you know is is there but another thing that moms without a mom go through is difficulty in identity development so a big part of how we understand ourselves as moms comes from our own experience being mothered. And so if you lost your mother early in life, then there's a lot of experiences that you, you don't have to look back on. Or if you had a problematic history with mom, so it was a um, mom wasn't able to be the mom that you needed her to be then that can also create some difficulty with identity. You know, how do I be either like my mom or not like my mom? Um, and so difficulty with, you know, creating a sense of self becomes a little more difficult as a mom when you don't have your mom. And then, like I said earlier, creating um, a go-to community becomes really important. I think those are uh, uh, very special points that that hopefully we, you guys that are listening and watching can take note of because you know in these type of circumstances uh, you and I both know that um, you know a, a, it, that loss in that void can create a depression that is going mm -hmm. to be reflective upon everybody around us and if yes. you're a new mother um, you know that can possibly contribute to postpartum would you yes. agree with that? 
Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, it can get in the way of bonding with your baby, you know, and, and moms can also experience this sense of um, distraction, right? So longing or memories can take them away from being present with their child. You know, there were times when I would be at the you know, playground and watching my son play and, and seeing, you know, moms with their mothers, right? And being able to share those neat, fun times that I would just feel sad. And then I would be off in my head thinking about what I didn't have. And I was missing the moment. Yeah, so that can that. be really hard. Yeah, I think, I, yeah, I'm sure that would take it. Uh, it would have to be a quick... Um, you have to recognize that, I would think. You know, take the moment to recognize that so that you can take a proactive approach to, you know, yep. any type of, as you, as, as you know, especially, you know, um, you know, depression and anxiety uh, can take a, a toll on our mental health. And not only does it affect us, it does affect the people around us. And that uh, the, the first step to helping that and to move forward past that is recognizing it. Yes, you know, absolutely. Take, take a moment to recognize it. Um, I know that you, <clears throat> I'm assuming all of these experiences um, kind of helped you contribute to why you created this environment for moms mm-hmm. that they can, they can collectively come on board with support. Um, again, now worldwide. Uh, I know that you, you've kind of reached out worldwide now, which is like a fantastic thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you think that within that worldwide environment it creates any cultural differences or any cultural issues that that uh, either play a positive impact or a negative impact on on that community well certainly the ways we relate with moms can be different based on culture but there is still a biological imperative to connect with a mom and so that's something we can all relate with yeah, I think that's it. You know, I, I and this is this is related. This little quip right here, real quick. That what you just brought up there uh, reminds me of a clip that I had watched on National Geographic, where a um, uh, I think it was a leopard had actually killed a baboon, and then when it realized that the baboon was a mother, and the mother had a child, the the leopard took the the baby uh, left the mother there, did not take it as a meal, and took the baby up above with it and protected it until the peop- the other I don't know what you call the rest of the the group, the monkeys, the the tribe, mm-hmm. the family, you know, mm-hmm. came and then walked away so they could go up and get the small child. So that that it's even recognized within the animal kingdom. Absolutely. Absolutely. And there's research um, uh, done by uh, Harry Harlow uh, with rhesus monkeys, you know, decades ago. Um, You know, very famous studies where he created with these monkeys fake mothers, right? And so um, they were raised uh, with wire monkeys that would dispense uh, food. And the monkeys that were raised by um, wire covered in cloth and that were heated did much better than the monkeys um, that were with the mothers that didn't, even if the monkeys that didn't would give the food and the monkeys with the cloth didn't. So the monkeys always chose the warm cloth ridden, you know, surrogate. Yeah. And so, again, this bonding, this connection, this this touch is very primitive. Very primitive. Yeah, that's, that's really very, I'll say it's crazy cool, if I can get away yeah. with that. <laughs> yes, you can. Crazy yes, cool. Yes. Um, <clears throat> what do you, uh, um, when you, I kind of like to, when we have these kind of discussions, I really like to talk about what, uh, people who are experiencing those can benefit. Uh, what what steps can someone take 
if they recognize, like we just talked about a little bit ago, that they're experiencing some of these issues, these voids, this fact that they're missing someone and or they need to reach out, um, what, what would you recommend? Well, first and foremost, I want your listeners to know that they aren't alone, that what they're experiencing is valid and it's real. And there isn't something wrong with you because you're struggling. And if you are, then I want you to reach out, you know, reach out to friends, reach out to um, other professionals in your life, um, connect. So um, I encourage, you know, there's there's counselors and therapists and psychologists um, that you can reach out to. And there's also coaches. Um, coaches are individuals that focus on a specific um, concern or issue. And go ahead and, and let people know what you're experiencing. Don't suffer in silence. So I am more than happy to hear from your listeners. In fact, anybody that wants to reach out to me, they are welcome to. I am offering a 30-minute uh, free consultation. So I'd be happy to talk about the specific um, circumstances that you're in and, and give some real concrete tools um, to move forward. It's a great opportunity, I think, that uh, I'll make sure that the how to get get that free consultation is in the show notes so that those that are in need of it have a direct link uh, to connect with you. I appreciate that. Absolutely. Um, as a father uh, of two daughters and, uh, uh, you know, and a husband to a wonderful wife that has uh, been with me on my journey all of these years, uh, I have to say that, uh, yes, I would be happy to make sure that people can connect when they need to reach out. Um, so you think, do you feel that um, in, in these particular instances of, uh, I, won't, I won't say mental health challenges, but in, in a sense, it, it becomes a mental health challenge. Would you agree? Well, it can. It can. Um, so for, for some, it can definitely lead into depression or anxiety, or, you know, it can be... Um, you have recognized, right, and, and addressed, it, it doesn't necessarily need to lead to a mental health concern. So, you know, you don't need to be depressed or in a terrible place to reach out. In fact, I would encourage, you know, people to reach out really early on so that you can develop the tools to, to keep that from happening. Is that kind of what's your basis for the community that you've built and that are you are continuing to build? Um, your motivation for that, obviously, I, I, I would I would think and correct me if I'm wrong, but, you know, all of your experiences that you have gone through allowed uh, that created your motivation for creating this community. Absolutely. So. You know, as you said, I'm a clinical psychologist and I have been for over 22 years. And um, so I've treated a lot of moms um, without a mom, just by the sheer nature of, of who finds me. And I realized um, more recently over this past year that there were so many moms that I wasn't able to connect with because they just weren't able to come into my office. And so I created um, a coaching program so that I could work with a wider range of individuals um, and uh, provide assistance to um, anybody that needed it. And they didn't need to have um, a, psychological, uh, sorry, a psychological disorder in order to see me. That's a positive thing. Um, you know, and again, I think that a lot people that are in this position, people that are experiencing this, young, young women, uh, well, I guess any age um, that are experiencing this, because I'm sure that even people that are 35, 40, 50 years old, when you lose your mother, it still has a, a negative impact on yes. your life. It still creates that void, no matter what age you are, when you mm -hmm. lose your mother, just sometimes it's more impactful when you're younger because of so many Absolutely. things that we just talked about. Um, so from from within that regard, 
I think that a community like this would be a positive approach to um, communication. And I, in, in the first, mm -hmm. I think the first uh, step would be communicating it and reach out, as we said earlier, and ask. Yes, absolutely. Now, do you, how, how large is the community at the moment? I mean, do you have a uh, large? Well, right, right, right now, I'm working with people individually and helping them set up their community. Um, this fall, I hope to have a um, virtual community up and running, um, but mm -hmm. that's, that's in the works. Uh, and, you know, it's kind of a process, mm -hmm. so... Um, well, we'll keep up with that. And, and when you get it up and when you get it to, as you continue to build, please reach out mm -hmm. to me again and we will have a broader conversation in regards to that community and promoting it for you. Because I think it, you know, coming from, again, from a personal perspective as well as a professional perspective, because there were, as a police officer, I, you know, worked in the environment where we went to calls where people were full of anxiety mm -hmm. and depression and the postpartum and they had lost a parent or lost their mother or, or their father or a child and they created an environment where the law enforcement had to get involved. So, you know, prior to that taking place, um, I, I, would, I would happily promote an opportunity for somebody to get involved in a community that can help somebody through mm -hmm. what they're going through. That's a very good thing. Um, yeah, absolutely. So just kind of to wrap things up, um, what, what do you think if a mother is experiencing some of the symptoms that we just talked about, what do you think their, her first step should be? Um, well, she can connect with me and I can help walk her through what the, the next steps are, or she can reach out to her uh, physician. Um, or a counselor that you may know, but definitely reach out. Um, on my website, um, you know, and I, I know you'll put those in the show notes. I also have two free guides for moms, um, one for moms of newborns or infants, um, and the other one is for moms of all ages if they find themselves getting distracted, like I talked about earlier. So I do have some free resources available to all of your listeners, and I would love if they were um, take advantage of those. That'd be great. Um, I, I forgot to ask you this earlier, if I could touch on this. Uh, yes. What is mom guilt? Mom guilt. Okay. So all moms experience guilt. Guilt is a normal emotion. So every human, not just moms. Um, but guilt is just that. It is an emotion. It is just like happiness, sadness, surprise. Guilt does not equate to right or wrong. So I'm gonna say that again, Michael. Experiencing guilt does not mean that you have done something wrong. Guilt is simply a pause button. So all emotion is based on uh, providing us the opportunity to live in community. So, um, different emotions get triggered for different reasons. So anytime that we as humans are doing something that's new or outside of our comfort zone, guilt will get triggered. And it simply gets triggered so that we kind of pause, we look at what we're doing and make a determination as to whether it is good for us and our community or not. So as moms, guess what? Most of what we're doing is new. <laughs> and for those moms who tend to put everybody else's needs in front of their own, if they are starting to set some limits and starting to care for themselves in, in ways that they may not have previously, then guilt will get triggered because that's new. But the fact that guilt is getting triggered does not mean that you're doing something wrong. So I joke around. I tell people that I call my guilt Gladys and I bring Gladys with me everywhere but I no longer let her drive. She has to sit in the back seat. So she doesn't make the decisions, I do. And that's what I encourage that's you know, brilliant. listeners. <laughs> Gladys. Yeah. So you don't, right, you don't have to get rid of your guilt. Guilt is part of being human, but it doesn't decide what you do. You decide what you do. There you go. I'm gonna have to come up with a name for mine. <laughs> 
<laughs> oh, that's, yeah. that's, that's brilliant, actually. Yes. Um, <clears throat> let's talk about how someone can get in touch with you, please, and uh, where we can find you if somebody needs help and wants to reach out. Well, the easiest place would be on my website, um, momswithoutamom.com. And that's where you can find uh, the two guides that I mentioned. That's where you can also get your um, schedule uh, a complimentary call with me. And, um, you know, we can go from there. That's probably the easiest way uh, to connect. That'd be fantastic. And I'll make sure that's in the show notes as well so that everybody has an easy way to connect with you. It'll also be on my website, beforeyougo.com. There'll be a link on there as well uh, to make sure that we connect with you. And I'll make sure that the uh, how to get a hold of those guides are, are put in there so that we have easy Absolutely. access to tools. Yeah. And I'm also on Instagram at moms without a mom. So uh, listeners can follow me as well. That would be fantastic. Um, Melissa, this is one more thing before we go. So before we go, do you have any words of wisdom you can share with us? Absolutely. I want all your listeners out there to recognize that they are human and that what they're feeling is valid and that when you're struggling, be very patient with yourself. It's okay to be sad. It's okay to grieve. It's okay to be exactly where you are. You don't need to be any different. That's fantastic words of wisdom. Brilliant words of wisdom. Melissa, Dr. Melissa Riley, I appreciate you coming on the show. I thank you for what you contribute to this world and those people that are in it because who you help affects us all. So thank you again for being on the show. I really appreciate you. It's been my pleasure, Michael. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for joining the conversation with us on this episode. We really appreciate each and every one of you. Don't forget to follow us, like us, subscribe. It's all free. If you want to support us so that we can continue to bring you the best of the best, please consider visiting our shop at BeforeYouGoPodcast.shop. That's BeforeYouGoPodcast.shop, one word. We also have a link on our website, BeforeYouGoPodcast.com, where you can directly link to that. You can also consider donating to the tip jar. We would really appreciate it. Don't forget, this Friday is going to start the permanent inclusion of Over the Teacup Fridays, and we will see you this Friday and next Wednesday. Thanks for listening to this episode of One More Thing Before You Go, a unique conversation about life. If you like our show and want to know more, check out our website at beforeyougopodcast.com. That's beforeyougopodcast.com. Tell your story, share your expertise, contribute to the blog, and subscribe to the newsletter. You can find us as well as subscribe to the program and rate us on your favorite podcast listening platform. And one more thing before you go. Have a nice day, have a nice week, and thanks for listening. One More Thing Before You Go, a unique conversation about life podcast, is a creation of One More Thing Productions, established 2010, all rights reserved.